Hey there, Misketeers. Welcome back to Missing Out Mondays, where we tell you what we're into. Start your week off right. I'm Tori J. I am Lex Michael. Lex Michael, you and I both watched the same thing this weekend. That's crazy. We never do that. Uh, it's called The Convergence, and it only happens once every, I don't know, millennia or however however often it happens. And it's when uh, uh, the Dark Elves try and steal the ether. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this, this, this week. <laughs> You're like, I'm not responding to that. That's <laughs> bullshit. I didn't care for that movie. Um, I mean, it was fine. There were There were some good moments. Um, sad Loki is my favorite. Uh, and also Freya, hashtag sad Friga. I don't remember. They pronounce it Friga. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Thor the Dark World to, to your great chagrin, nope. I'm we're sure. We're just talking about Thor the Dark World. Okay, guys, what did you think the ether was at first? Do you remember the portal stuff? What do you think happened to that big dog monster at the end? They keep calling it a stone, but that's not what rocks do. <laughs> um, no, uh, if you've read the title of this podcast um you know that we both watched the final second the final episodes of bojack horseman it was the second season of the it was the second half of the sixth season um they split it up into two the first part came out in october second part came out this weekend and so uh we both finished a long-running series that spoke to us as two individuals who live with mental health stuff um and it being one of the most um, accurate depictions of depression and mental illness uh, on television, even though it's told through the prism of a talking horse. Yes, uh, I heard it many years ago described uh, as existential horror plus animal jokes. Yeah. And I think that's fairly accurate. Um, it's a show that you, you talk about, like, yes, it's one of the most honest depictions of living with, say, mental illness, but I think more broadly, to me, it it is one of the most brutally uncomfortably honest depictions of being human in a world that's really complicated and really hard especially when you're coping with feelings of being damaged whether you are quote unquote damaged or the narrative of your life appears to you in such a way that you've internalized that idea how do you make your way through the world right and so we're going to talk about it with no real spoilers, no spoilers about like the first half of the season, I think, because like, I don't know, maybe you haven't seen it, but just like general thoughts. Yeah. So I, I would say just uh, on that point, like we talked b- just before we jumped on Mike to talk about this season. Um, I don't think this is a show that can be ruined if it gets spoiled for you. There's so many layers to this show. It's incredibly deep for a, an animated series starring a horse. Uh, I, there's enough going on that I think if the plot was revealed to you ahead of time it wouldn't ruin the experience entirely but because there are things uh, in terms of how they resolved their story there are so many things in this final run of episodes that just hit me so hard emotionally that i would want people to to get to go in fresh not yeah. knowing how they tie certain things up right um and so would you say that the ending was satisfying? So I felt ahead of time going in this, into this last run of episodes that if they stuck the landing as far as I was concerned, BoJack Horseman would absolutely be a top 10 of all time show for me. Okay. BoJack Horseman is officially a top 10 all time show for me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I was sobbing 
by the end. It it just and so I watched it uh, with with my girlfriend who I introduced to the show. I think uh, right after season five. Uh, we started watching it together. And so we watched both halves of this last season for the first time together. And at the end of the finale, it goes to credits and the two of us just tears streaming down our faces. And like, we look at each other and like, we both know what we're feeling, but we can't, there aren't, there weren't words. Like neither one of us could put words to it. And I was thinking about it later. And again, it's like, we can't talk about spoilers, but if you know Bojack Horseman and you've seen the finale, You'll, you'll know more more specifically what I'm talking about. It felt to me like something we understand, especially because like you you kind of introduced our conversation by saying you and I both kind of deal with our own uh, feelings of of being damaged in one way or another. Or we deal with sort of, uh, uh, you know, our own. We deal with various forms of, of, call it mental illness or whatever. I think it hit us so hard because there is something there that we can relate to in a very specific, uncomfortable way. It, we, we feel seen in a way that, that no other show really offers. Uh, but it's something that I don't know that we'll be able to articulate until we are older. Hmm. And that's what I keep, like, I, I know what is affecting me, but I don't think I will have the words until I've lived another 10, 15 years. Right. Um, and I, I think that something that resonates with me about the show and something that they really start to hit home in the, the last bit is this idea that people in general can change. Change is hard and change isn't something that happens quickly. And it, it, it's something that like we will falter on the way to becoming better people and how we handle those falters de- determines how much we can change. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a really, it's, it's a really nice message, but it's also something that like, I don't feel like people talk about very much and that like an, a lot, a big expectation of people when it comes to change is that like, you want to see like the final version of someone right? and you want to like, uh, you want to feel like they, have learned all the lessons and will never do those things again. But that's not really how we as people work. Um, I mean, we are most comfortable with the habits that we've built. And especially if we've grown up in a, in a, uh, or like our foundations are those of chaos, then like we automatically will gravitate towards the chaos we're comfortable with. And so breaking out of those habits and breaking out of those cycles is essentially and we've talked about this rewiring your brain and it is it is a destructive process that's hard and the harder it is the harder it is to keep moving forward in it and it's something that you see these characters doing and you see how the people around you also influence that and you see how like it's it's easy to it's it's easy to love someone and it's easy to like enable behavior because you love them but like ultimately like you have to ask yourself at a certain point if it's helping them right um and it's also a thing that like people themselves have to want to change right um and but the hard part about it that is we don't know what that looks like within us and so like having to get to a point that you trust that and what does trusting that feel like yes and it's an ambiguous feeling that you yourself have to find yes 
Um, and I think that all of these things are, are explored very well in the, in the whole final season, but specifically that the second half of that final season, seeing what it looks like to potentially be on the other side of dealing with trauma or dealing with your own negative habits and, and the, uh, discomfort that that brings. Right. And so you talked before about how we like to see as audience members, we like to see sort of somebody actually arrive at that destination, that sort of clean, neat, well, I did it. I beat back my demons and it's all going to be okay now because it, it kind of placates us. You know what I mean? Like it's the easy answer. It's the easy solution. And I love that this ending completely eschews any sort of completely tidy, neat resolution to those character arcs. I think they resolve their character arcs for sure. Yeah. But you know, you talk about, here's a look at, at what being on the other side of that might look like. Yes, they're on the other side of a lot of what they brought into the show when we first met these characters, but the work never stops. It all, it just keeps going, right? Uh, uh, they Okay, so they have, this is not a plot spoiler in any way, but there's a conversation in the final episode, I believe, um, and it's a dialogue between Bojack and Diane. And the conversation arrives at a point where I think Bojack very flippantly just sort of says, you know, well, life's a bitch and then you die. And Diane says, no, I think life's a bitch. And then you keep living. Right, or, or, like, uh, or, or like they say in Hamilton, uh, dying is easy, son. Living is harder. And it's, it's true. Yeah. The work doesn't stop. It's not, it's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It's not, I mean, it's the oldest cliche in the book. It's the journey. It's not the destination. And it's always work. And it's always making the choices to put in the work, not just for you, but for the people around you as well. And this show... Deal, dealt with that its entire run in such an unflinching and direct way. There's nothing, remove all the the animal jokes and stuff, there's nothing on television like this. I've never seen anything that deals with that in such a raw, uncomfortably relatable way. Yeah. And that's sort of what I mean when I say, like, it it made me feel seen. It, it hit so close to home. Like, I saw so much more of myself in the selfish asshole, self-destructive Bojack Horseman than I'd ever want to admit to anyone else or myself. Yeah. But watching this guy fail and fail and fail and make self-destructive choice after self-destructive choice, selfish decision after selfish decision, the bill coming due for all of that and seeing that guy sort of grapple with the, the cost of his mistakes and the cost of his choices, choices that are far more egregious than maybe the selfish, self-destructive choices I've made in my own life. Right. Seeing somebody that I can relate to more than I'd like to grapple with that reality and deal with that and, and ultimately force himself uh, kicking and screaming to try and become a better person. It, it, it just the whole thing just affected me in a way that I don't feel I've ever been affected by a television show before. Right. Um, and through this, I've also learned that the best way to get, uh, Lex to relate to something or someone is to put it in an animal body. <laughs> um, so far we've got Bojack Horseman, Rocket Raccoon. Um, so like, if you really want to relate to him, just fucking put it in an animal body. But isn't it interesting that you bring up Rocket? Um, and I've talked on this show too about how in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, what James Gunn did with the character of Rocket, I related to Rocket in ways that made me so deeply uncomfortable. Um, and really, honestly, and like it's the space movie with the little talking baby tree. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but it really actually got me to sort of reflect on what I personally view as some of my more toxic personality traits. Right. And it really did, much like watching BoJack's character arc. 
when, uh, I guess, mild spoilers for a movie that everybody saw, um, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, when Rocket has this moment of openness where he accepts that, like, if Yondu, who was just like him, could actually ultimately be loved and be honored and be accepted and and be mourned by people who, who really want to honor him, uh, maybe it could happen for Rocket, too. And looking at Bojack, a guy who is so much more fucked up than I am, um, if he can find hope, if he can find a reason to be better and a way to motivate himself to commit to that work, which never stops, then it's like, well, maybe maybe I can. Maybe we all can. Um, but also the show's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very funny. really funny. Um, I think before we sign off, I really want to contextualize a joke. Um, because when I watched it, um, I only got it because I, I know the company that produces the show. Okay. Um, but I feel like if you don't have context, it, it feels weird. So there's a Michael Eisner joke. Yep. <laughs> um, and it, it comes out of nowhere and they don't like spend too much time on it, but it happens and they move on. Um, and I feel like without context, you're like, okay, D- like, this is a Netflix show. Like, there's no association with Michael Eisner. So Michael Eisner owns Tornante, which is um, the company that produces uh, BoJack Horseman. Mm-hmm. And so that joke is funny because they're trying not to talk shit about their owner. Right. And every, like, uh, obviously, everybody also knows Michael Eisner ran Disney for a bunch of years, too. Right. Um, but there's a ton of humor like that in the show. Like, it, if you, like we do obsessively and compulsively follow sort of like insider entertainment stuff. There is a ton of humor in this show that appeals directly to people like that. Yeah. Like there are AO Scott jokes on this show. Right. You know what I mean? Like a lot of that. Um, so it, it definitely rewards sort of being an entertainment business nerd yeah. uh, on top of just being like, there's a, you know, I don't love puns in general, just because it like, yeah, ha, because ha, you're that, boring. Yeah. No, so, uh, that word sounds like another word. Ah, uh, like try harder. Um, but boring. there is, there is wordplay on this show that essentially boils down to puns. The character of princess Carolyn voiced by Amy Sedaris. Um, she will constantly throughout this series, just start going on these long fucking spiels that it's all like, she's, trying to convey a thought to somebody, but the whole string of words will be words that phonetically sound the same. Right. It's incredible. And I'm such a huge fucking fan of it in a way that I'm not really a fan of a lot of puns that I hear because holy shit, they earn that, that wordplay. They earn the, oh my God, these words all sound like these other words and shit because like it's, that's challenging. Okay. And I have a deep appreciation for it. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. I feel personally wounded by those words, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to move past that to wrap us up. Um, so we hope you had pun today uh, <laughs> listening to our show. You know what? Actually, but see, I'll accept that because it's not just ha ha ha. This word sounds like this other word. You, you, it was an act of vengeance on uh-huh. your part. So because there was a deeper motivation. I see. So yeah, intentionality you is your is where the threshold goes. Honestly, kind of. In a way, in a way, actually, yes. Because if I know that the person saying the pun is really just doubling down on how dumb it is, then I, I find it more palatable than if I feel I'm expected to actually find it funny. Interesting. Um, well, your boring tastes aside, <laughs> uh, 
we uh, want to know what you guys at home are interested in. Hit us up on Twitter at Missing Outcast. M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. But also, this week, we are starting a new series. Uh, we're going to be doing three weeks of lone warrior type movies. Um, tomorrow, we're going to start with Yojimbo. Then the next week, we're going to be doing Fistful of Dollars. And the last week being Last Man Standing, the movie, not the show. Yes, not the uh, Tim Allen show, but the 96 Bruce Willis movie. And obviously, Fistful of Dollars and Last Man Standing, both a remake of Yojimbo. And so we thought it would be fun to check out the way three great filmmakers from three completely different cultural backgrounds approach the same material. Yeah, um, because we thought that essentially... Uh, this, this month full of love and togetherness needed a little bit of lonesome time. Uh, we even gave it a fun name. Uh, what was it again, Lex? Well, actually there's, there's no name and that's why we're calling it the month with no name. Hell yeah. You see, because, uh, the, the man with no name, you see, as I explained the joke, uh, is the the sort of marketing angle on Clint Eastwood's character in the Dollars trilogy, uh -huh. of course, based on the character in Yojimbo who chooses a name for himself, but actually is is nameless. Yeah, actually, Bruce Willis in Last Man Standing, I believe, goes by John Smith, which is obviously sort of an alias. Right. Exactly. See. So join us for the month with no name. And also Black History Month, because Black History Month is important. And make sure that you do Black History Month stuff and get with it. But you should be doing Black History stuff every month, bitch. Uh, so uh, anyway, you can also hit us up on our personal social media. Lex, where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael, And I'm at Tari J. T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. So make sure to join us tomorrow for our chat about Yojimbo. We're going to have all that sweet, sweet samurai action. Uh, maybe I'll make some onomatopoeias. I don't think I will, though. Um, but I'll, <laughs> I'll definitely make some puns or some shit. Um, so make sure to join us. And we will see you then. Take care. That's my new sign-off. Take care. Is it good? I like it.